Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Try and Stop Me podcast. If you are new here, my name is Colleen and we have an incredible guest on the show today. Tara Fakwire is here with us from True State and she's going to tell us all about her background, what True State is, but it's a journey that a lot of the guests on the show have been talking about, transitioning from one career into the next and not really having an idea of what the future is going to look like, taking that leap of faith. So I know a bunch of you are out there are thinking of doing the same thing or just love hearing the stories of a truly badass woman that went out there and got it for herself. And Tara is the epitome of that. So Tara, thank you so much for taking the time. Again, to full disclosure, everybody, <laughs> last week we re- recorded this and it didn't record. So if that doesn't tell you, try and stop me, nothing will. It's just dust it off and get back to it. So Tara took the time out again to re-record with us. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for having me again. And I just look at last week as just like a nice little practice session. So today should be perfect. Exactly. It's recording. No editing you know needed. Recording. <laughs> exactly. We're just going to run through it and that's it. So uh, Tara, I I want to go and tell the audience a little bit about who you are, where you came from, a little bit of background, just so they can kind of get the foundation of who the heck is Tara? Yeah. So thanks again for having me excited to share my story. Um, You know, it's, it's really just a combination of experiences that have brought me here today. Um, You know, so right now I'm the co-founder and CEO of True State and I'm really, you know, just thankful that my journey got me here and it was definitely a windy path. Um, And I think as, you know, many of the guests you've had on your show, it, you know, I, when I was in, gosh, middle school, high school, like I just always knew I wanted to do something big, but what that big thing was, I wasn't sure of. Um, And I really, you know, just took every opportunity that came my way and explored it and did the best I could. And that brought me through a number of different, you know, industries and uh, met great people. And I really just like throughout that entire journey have always found that like I really believed in myself and believed that I could do something great. And it truly brought me to, you know, the role I'm in today. Mm, I like how you use the word true in there a lot. No pun intended. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> <Interesting, but. laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think that's a, that's a great point to say, like you always knew you had something bigger in you. Cause mm-hmm. I think a lot of us have that, that feeling, but then you get put towards, okay, we're going to go to school and we're going to get the nine to five job and we're going to go and do kind of what's on the roadmap and work for somebody else. So tell us a little bit of the background of, I know when you went to college, you took the leap of faith and kind mm-hmm. of something transitioned in guys, we already, I already heard this story <laughs> once already, but Dara's going to tell us about it. Yeah. So, you know, I started my college life at Bucknell University in Pennsylvania. Um, Great school, but small school. And I found that it really, you know, it just wasn't the best fit for me. And I couldn't even really tell you why I just felt that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that was a big that was my first, and I think we kind of talked through this before, that that was really one of those big first decisions that I made as an individual, because when you're in middle high school, and even that decision to go to college, um, whether you're deciding to go to college, or what school, or vocational, whatever it is, like that often becomes more of a family decision, Um, so I felt like by making that 
statement that I knew Bucknell wasn't for me and I wanted to make the switch to a different school was that, that really that first big decision and it ended up being a great one. So although I, you know, made great friends at Bucknell, I just didn't really see myself, um, you know, being there and thriving there. So I made the big leap to transfer to University of Miami in sunny Coral Gables, Florida. So, mm-hmm. you know, the weather certainly <laughs> was mm-hmm. appealing. Yeah, I was going to um, say, what was the real reason why we went there? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I grew up in Massachusetts and then school in Pennsylvania. So sunny Florida seemed like a really great spot. But, you know, jokingly aside, you know, UM is just an awesome school. And I felt like there was so much for me, you know, to do. And I had throughout high school and, you know, even middle school and whatnot, I was always into sports. And at the time when I chose to transfer, I wasn't playing sports. So I really needed a school that had a lot of activity and things for me to do and learn. And I'm really a busy body. So um, I, you know, took the jump and transferred to University of Miami, but I was kind of nervous because I was transferring as a junior and, you know, typically people transfer in their sophomore year. Mm. So I thought like, oh gosh, I'm going to be the newbie as a junior, everyone's going to have their group of friends or, you know, whoever I get stuck with as a junior roommate is going to be just, you know, who knows, they haven't made friends, like, you know, in your head, you're making these assumptions of every worst possible outcome, (laughs) and it ended up being awesome. So I transferred and kind of, you know, that I I believe in, you know, fate and whatnot. And uh, my very first day at Miami, I had a new student orientation and I went for all of, I don't know, five, 10 minutes and felt like this is a complete waste of time. I've been here, done that. And literally as I was leaving orientation, I bumped into somebody else who was ditching orientation. And that person is actually my co-founder today. So um, I feel like everything aligned (laughs) and they're like, you know, the world was like, you two need to meet. So we, yeah. (laughs) What was, I have a question though, in the transitioning between colleges, because I think that's a big, that's a big pivot. And especially if you have family that's supporting you behind that Mm -hmm. decision or not supporting you behind that decision, how did you even approach it or say, this is exactly what I'm doing? doing. You went to them and your family and said, I have this gut feeling that this isn't the place for me, or did, were you more strategic on your conversation? Yeah. So the way my dad tells it, and it's accurate, (laughs) (laughs) was that we actually had, you know, I had, I'm one of those people who like, I really think things through. Um, but then when I make the decision, I make the decision, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's, yeah, So I had been kind of mulling it over for a little while and done some, you know, poking around at different schools. And it was, um, I don't know, some sort of vacation or break from school. And my parents, um, as I mentioned from Massachusetts, but they were looking at homes in Florida. So I tagged Hmm. along because you're in college and why not, you know, get a nice little vacation out of it. (laughs) And the way my dad tells it is we were at the hotel and there was like a little sofa in the hotel and him and my mom were sitting on the sofa and I just like wedged myself in between them. And he like already knew like, okay, something's up. And I was like, I have something to tell you. And they were like, oh, goodness, (laughs) what, what? (laughs) And I was like, I'm going to transfer schools. And they're like, okay. You know, so they were cool with it. And I think they knew that Bucknell probably wasn't, you know, the best for me. I just didn't, you know, you just get a feeling. Yeah, um, like There you weren't up. a ton of questions as far as like, why, like, what can we do to make you love Bucknell? It was more just like, okay, 
and that was it. That's incredible. <laughs> so, did they yeah. end up buying the house in Florida to make it easier? They did. Oh, good. See, you're like, see, I was just following you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I think they just knew that if I was making that decision, there was a reason why. And I like that you said you, you're somebody who has a lot of thought behind what you're doing. Mm -hmm. We're not just jumping. And I'm very similar in that respect where mm -hmm. I'll Google something or, or search something for six months before I purchase it or mm -hmm. decide to make that big jump. But when I do, I'm doing it that second. As soon as I decide there's like 100%. this flip <laughs> where yes. you're like, I can't sleep until I know this is done. So yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like I'll mull it over. My husband always says that like, I'll be, I'm ready. I'm jumping. And he's like, whoa, what? <laughs> you know, but I'm, I'm good. I've made that decision. I'm ready. Yeah. I've already thrown about the pros and the cons. We're good right. here. Okay. <laughs> so you guys met, it was like, but at that point, when you say you met your co-founder at that, at college, that wasn't, you guys didn't jump right into the company. So tell oh, us no. a little bit about that in-between stage. Yeah. So there's been plenty of years in between. Yeah. Um, so we met, as I mentioned, you know, the first day of orientation as juniors. And we clicked immediately. Um, my co-founder, her name's Leah. Leah's from Long Island, Italian. I'm Italian from North, you know, Massachusetts. So that was instant because we could connect over pasta, <laughs> uh, things like and Christmas traditions. Um, so we just hit it off right away. And you know, for as much as Miami is a fun school and there's a lot to do, both her and I are very very dedicated to our studies. So, you know, we had aligned just naturally on our schoolwork and helping each other out and really being supporters of each other during school. And then when we graduated, just being huge supporters of each other's careers. So after college, uh, Leah went to law school, which, you know, we'll kind of get into why, you know, mm -hmm. True State was built, but she went to law school and that's a hard journey going to law school and getting that job. And I, re I remember just, you know, having those conversations of like her first job and passing the bar and all these things that are challenging and you're just out of school and being there to support that. And for me, I went the sales and ops route. So I didn't go, I do have my MBA now, but I didn't go directly after school, after undergrad. Um, and just, you know, we're each other's biggest cheerleaders, aside from our spouses, of course. And I feel like that's, you don't find that that much. So mm -hmm. we've been involved in each other's lives through, um, you know, her at my wedding, her wedding, her kids, like, you know, there's just this connection and um, it really translates well now into business partners, but that's really because we've built years of a, a great foundation of trust. Yeah. And I think we'll get into more of your relationship because I do find it complete. It's, it's amazing that you guys have been able to take your friendship and also turn it into a business because not many people or best friends or close mm -hmm. friends can actually turn it into a business and leave, you know, put your business hat on and take your friend hat yeah. off and, and separate the two. It's like business and what do they say? Home and church or business exactly. and church and all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. where, where do you draw the line? So we'll definitely get into that. So tell us after you graduated from college. So she went, the the law school route and yeah. you went into the retail so I tell did. us a little bit about that yeah so that's really you know where things kind of started for me so I jumped into retail um through I, I really my we'll talk about Nordstrom in a second but I went to another um retailer for just a little while after college and I liked it but it you know it's about finding that right fit and um, during that time, you know, I had done some other things and dabbled around in different businesses and 
thought, well, maybe I'll just open my own store, which was probably a bit premature. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you think about things. So, right. Exactly. And it was a great experience and I learned so much because I just had to jump in and it was just me working seven days a week and I, you know, didn't have anyone to cover the store. Um, My husband was a, you know, supporter of it, but he, he worked. So Mm -hmm. um, this is what I did. And I figured out how to source different product lines and build relationships with vendors and build relationships within the community, you know, chamber of commerce, different, I had this high-end activewear and swimwear line. So I'd partner with gyms and hotels and, you know, and just kind of just going after it. I mean, there's no other way that like, I didn't have a strategy per se. Yeah. I just knew that I needed people in the door. Um, when and was this? That this was in 2010 or 11. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So blurred now, but yeah. um, it was a while back. Um, so I, you know, I did all that and then realized that while the store was actually doing pretty well, I had, we had just gotten married and just bought a house. So I felt like you probably a steadier stream of income was a better idea. You know, I don't know. (laughs) That seemed like the smart (laughs) thing to do at the time. Um, And I also felt like I, you know, needed more experience in order to be a, a great business owner. So I was actually able to kind of offload my inventory to a young woman who wanted to open a yoga studio. So I gave her the space and sold her the inventory. And I was like, you could do this dual yoga, Mm. you know, clothing line. And she went for it and loved it. So I got rid of my inventory and kind of just, you know, got out scot-free, which is pretty cool. Smart. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so then I, this is when I really started my retail career with Nordstrom and I, I took a job in Aventura, Florida. And the reason I took that job, even though there's Nordstrom all over creation, is that they are one of the largest uh, locations for, um, it's. I think it's, I don't know what it is today, but at the time it was like in the top 10 Mm -hmm. uh, producing locations for Nordstrom. So I knew that there'd be a lot of opportunity there. And I dove in and took advantage of every single like training opportunity, mentorship, met everybody, learned, you know, the different lines, the different departments. And I really wanted to be at the ultra high end area, which I ended up doing. So they have an area called Collectors, which is truly couture runway um, and really understanding the different um, designers and the lines and building those those relationships with clients because it's not like somebody just walks in and you can sell them a five thousand dollars Givenchy dress like you have to build that relationship so right. um, a lot of what I do today in my career I feel was really you know the foundation was built at Nordstrom because they have such a strong uh, philosophy about you know just really working with that client, building those relationships and their motto is leave it better than you found it. So, you know, leaving every day or every week feeling like I left the business better than I found it was uh, resonated with me. Um, So I, through Nordstrom, I got um, invited to be, uh, to participate in their executive, executive development program. And then from there, my career really took off with them. And I was promoted in all different areas of the country and um, to tech, well, another couple locations in Florida, Texas, and then to New Jersey. So uh, Nordstrom was a really great learning environment for me because you really have your hand in so many different 
you know, departments and logistics and buying, mm-hmm. and you really yeah. just kind of learn it all. It almost makes you humble a little bit too, because you're starting when you walked in, I'm sure you started at the lower levels, like you said, and then you got to work every department and learn everything. So was it a course over years that you kind of worked your way up to that ladder to get to the top, to then be able to start traveling with Nordstrom? Yeah, I actually excelled pretty quickly and I skipped a couple of steps. Um, as I mentioned, I am super determined and I usually, you, you know, you're in sales and then you do an assistant manager and maybe an executive development program. And then you get a small department that is non-couture and you have to really work your way up to be that couture manager. And I actually skipped right from the sales floor, right to being a couture department manager um, in Boca Raton, Florida. So that was a big jump. And I, I looked at it as people were putting a lot of faith in me. So I was not going to let that opportunity slip past me. And I wanted to do just everything I could do to turn that business into, you know, a fantastic, you know, increase over increase business. And, um, you know, that, that took like some creativity, but I had a lot of people, you know, supporting me and wanting to see me achieve, which I think is really important. You know, I wasn't met with people who were hoping I'd fail. They wanted to see me win. Yeah, absolutely. Was it scary transitioning that big of a role in between or were you like, I'm ready for this? I was ready. I don't know. I think that's just one of the things I'm like, I can do it. Yeah. I'll figure <laughs> you know? it out. Everything is figure outable. <laughs> exactly. And I always feel like there's somebody I can ask. And I really leaned on that's good. people who have been in that position before. And I formed relationships with other um, couture managers and, you know, really asked them what they did. And I found that doing trunk shows and having themes and, you know, sipping shops and all those things, like they work. So mm-hmm. I would do them. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that you weren't a- afraid to ask for help because I think so many people, especially nowadays feel like they need to do everything alone in order to really feel satisfied or feel mm-hmm. like they accomplished it, but there's nothing wrong in asking, how did you do it? Or tell me your story about exactly this telling their story. I'm sure you've heard throughout the stores of people's way up the ladder. And then as you started to get closer to them, they were able to indulge you in a little bit more on how they did it. So that's a huge trait to have, to be, have the ability to be able to ask for help and then accept the help or accept the advice and kind of run with what they did, not create or make a new wheel out of something that's already been done. 100%. And the other thing too, I did, and I think that it helped people understand where I wanted to go is like, you know, you have different reporting structures. So Mm -hmm. like I would report to a regional Um, but there was people in the store that also had a hand in, you know, making sure I was doing well and would, you know, put me up for promotion. And I told every single one of those people what my goals were and, you know, then that way people would know what I, you know, wanted out of things. So maybe if something came up, they thought of me, or if I wasn't doing something that I could be doing better, they would tell me. So I, you know, I know some people keep their goals like kind of close to them, but I feel like you know, if you tell people what you want to do, sometimes they'll help you get there too. Especially if they're on the way outside of their realm that they want to move Mm -hmm. on to their next level, they're probably looking for people to kind of groom to get to their position that they know Mm -hmm. is going to take care of their clients or their, their department or wherever you're stepping into. So that's a, that's a huge personality trait that is incredible that not many people can lean into. So I would love that you just said that. So yeah. Nordstrom, I know you were traveling around. How hard did that start to get? 
It started to get pretty hard. So Nordstrom is a great place to learn and you really can have a great career there, but they really do lean on having like that mobile environment, mobile from, I mean, um, not like tech mobile, but truly like you're up and moving. Mm-hmm. Um, so that started to get a little bit difficult for me because during this time, I've, you know, I've been married and I was newly married at that time. And I was not living with my husband because (laughs) um, I was working. And so he had one time he was living in Massachusetts at our home in Massachusetts. And I was working in Florida. And then when I was in Florida, we knew that I had a pretty good shot of getting promoted to New Jersey. So he took a job in New Jersey and surprise, I got promoted to Houston. (laughs) So um, it's like match up for a little while. (laughs) Um, so it really started to get, you know, challenging just because, you know, you really are, um, I I was being pulled in different directions and he was super supportive of my career, but I also wanted to see him and my, you know, marriage is important to me and making that grow and, and work too. Um, so it really just got a, a bit too much to be moving as frequently as I was. So, um, with that, you know, I had started forming relationships about a year earlier with different, Um, different companies. And from there, I ended up getting recruited by Rent the Runway. So I had kind of put the bug in their ear. I want to say it was like 10 months before I even joined forces with them, just um, letting them know who I was. And I met with them several times, but the timing wasn't quite right. And then when a job did come up that they, you know, thought I'd be good for, they called me right away. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. And this was when Rent the Runway was like baby, baby stage, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, at the time, there was one location. Uh, well, they had, you know, they're online, but there was one location in New York in um, Henry Bendel's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just a little, little shop. <laughs> yeah, a little, little nowhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not New York City. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So um, that was a really great experience for me because that was really, you know, again, I, I lean on my past experiences, but I lean on that experience a lot today, being in a startup that, you know, really grew rapidly and understanding what went into that. And during my time there, uh, being over retail, um, you know, specifically the flagship, we opened two stores in New York, an actual standalone store on 18th. Um, it's not there anymore. That's since moved or yeah, since moved. Yeah. Um, so I was there for that store opening. Um, and then we also developed um, new programs and open stores in Georgetown, Chicago and Vegas as well. So, um, you know, that was just being part of the, you know, that, that team and, we had the opportunity, you know, where different managers from different stores, you know, or newly opened stores would come in, you know, they would work with me and um, in New York and really, you know, help develop this program so that this experience could be, um, you know, identical in a different city. Because, you know, like that's where when you walk into one of your favorite retailers, you know, you're in there, like even before you look at the sign, because it feels the same. And that's really important to a company's retail growth. So you have to, you can't have this disjointed feeling. So, you know, we had everybody kind of train and and, um, understand the process and the experience in New York, and then kind of let them go to the new locations. Yeah. I mean, the difference between probably the, the massive Nordstrom versus the small startup rent the runway, what is Mm -hmm. like one thing you really learned with rent the runway that you just never had to deal with in Nordstrom? 
I learned to do literally everything, you know, (laughs) (laughs) there's no such thing as that's not in my job description. Right. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, literally everything. So, um, but that's important, you know, there's no job too big or too small that you, you know, you can't, can't do, or at least take a stab at it. So I learned everything. And, um, at Nordstrom, it's, you know, you have people in logistics, you have people in ops, you have people who, you know, are cleaning the stores. Like, you know, when you're new, you, you literally wear every hat. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the small, smaller businesses. You don't want it, but you have it. It's yours. (laughs) Here you go. Deal with it. Okay. So rent the runway. You were there for how many years? Uh, Not too long. Um, Just about two. Okay. And then when you were, are you starting to get burnt out by retail at this point or? Yeah. So, you know, I think for people who have had a long career in retail, like you, you do give up a lot of free time and you give up a lot of holidays and, um, you know, there, there are just things I wanted to be a part of that I wasn't able to do. And and frankly, I was tired. So Mm -hmm. I, even though I worked in the city, I did not live anywhere near New York city. Um, so the train I took wasn't even an express train. So it was about, you know, almost two hours each way at like really odd times because you're back with hubby, right? Yeah, I was, but I was tired, (laughs) you know, know. (laughs) (laughs) and, and that was actually one of the things that, uh, got me thinking about what I wanted to do next is because I was really tired and I wasn't feeling quite as my energetic self. And I remember uh, my husband had said to me that he, you know, almost saw like spent more quality time with me when I was in Houston Mm. than when I was in New York, because it's like, I would get home at midnight and literally take a nap and be on like a five 30 or 6am train. So yeah, because retail was not just, it's not just the stores. You have to do all the events, especially with run the Mm -hmm. runway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're never getting yeah. home. You're, yeah. <laughs> you're like blinking it back on the train. <laughs> I was so tired and my, like my eating habits were poor, <laughs> you know, <laughs> everything. <laughs> so I'd be like, I'll just grab this soft pretzel for the 10th day in a row, which is not, a, you know, a sustainable way. Nutri-grain <laughs> bar and bananas. That's what you lived <laughs> right, on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when I, I had that moment that I'm sure many people have had, like, well, what am I going to do next? Because I felt like I had just you know, built this career in retail and that's all I knew. And now I'm stuck in retail for the rest of my life. And Mm -hmm. I had that like panic moment. And my husband was very much like the one who showed me that my skills, regardless of that they're in retail or not, are absolutely transferable. And I had ops skills. I had sales skills. I had customer service skills. I had so many things and I just didn't really at that time, I couldn't see anything other than retail. So um, he really helped me, you know, build resumes that were marketing focused and sales focused and ops focused. And I had a gazillion different resumes, but they were true to my skill set. They just, you know, were, had a different spin on them. And that was really helpful. And I think that a lot of people, you know, if they're happy in their career, that's awesome. But I think people who might not be fulfilled in their career stay in their career because they don't realize that, you know, just because you've been in one industry for so long doesn't mean that that you can't be, you know, uh, an amazing asset to a different industry. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you, you feel the same way. I mean, you Absolutely. look at what you've done with your, you know, your skill sets. So, yeah, I mean, I was a hairstylist and now I'm a partner at an insurance firm. So like right. it's in, in light years beyond what you would ever think <laughs> would right. marry each other. But that, like you said, the skill sets of, I think you just have to be willing and trust in yourself mm-hmm. enough to try something new that you can always, always go back to what you're comfortable with or what you yeah. know you excel at. Mm-hmm. Why not try? You have one life. There's so many different industries that you can literally dip your feet in. Right. So, so you have all these different resumes that have different yeah. hats on them, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I really had no idea what I wanted to do. Like, no, I just had no idea. Yeah. And I took like the first week. So I did take time off. So that how was old are you at this point? So you have no idea in your thirties, right? I or was just 20s? turning 30. Yeah, I love I that though, because 30. that's like the, the, like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Like, am I right. going to just waste 10 years and not know what I'm doing, but it's so totally. normal to feel it. So normal. yeah, the 30 thing was like, weighing on me thinking like I see all these shows and everyone has it together (laughs) in their 30s you know so I just felt like yeah and then you hit 30 and you're like what's everybody what am I doing with my life like it it never gets fixed yeah (laughs) right exactly so um you know I really took time off so one of the things that you know as a family decision with my husband and I that we talked about is that if I was going to make this career leap really wanted to make one that made sense and didn't Mm -hmm. want to just take the first job just because it was a job I got, you know, and I wanted to take the time to, to really evaluate things. So I know that not everyone has that opportunity to take some time off and, you know, but if you do and you're able to, um, I think it's really, it's helpful um, because you don't feel the pressure to, you know, just find something. Of course, I put a ton of pressure on myself to find something, but that's, you know, a different story. <laughs> that's the personality trait. Yeah. yeah. Are you Virgo? Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. So I ended up my like first non-retail job. And it's funny because it ended up coming back to retail is that I worked for a nonprofit and, you know, your connections are so important. And someone I had met at Nordstrom years ago had posted that the nonprofit that they worked for was hiring. And I thought I could do that. And I reached out to her on LinkedIn and said, Hey, you know, what do I need to know about this job? And she got my resume to the hiring manager and I went through the interview process and I was hired. So, you know, your network is just so important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, yeah. it really makes a difference. So I took a job that I had, I was with Girl Scouts. Um, I, you know, didn't really have any history. I was a brownie for like one year. Um, <laughs> I cared more about the cookies than anything. Right? <laughs> but I thought, you know, I could, they're doing such great work. And that's something that I wanted to do something that I felt like mattered. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took a job with them and, you know, not quite entry level by any means, but it was definitely low. I took, you know, I took a step backwards as far as salary and title goes, of course. Um, but sometimes you have to do that. You have to take a step back to go forward. And very quickly, I worked my way up that ladder and um, was a director in very short time of multiple departments. And then their retail, so there, there is a retail at Girl Scouts and that retail manager left and I took that under my um, uh, responsibility as well. So it's actually over three different departments in a very short time frame. but, you know, retail came back and it was something that, you know, I was able to 
say, Hey, I can do this. And, you know, I was able to, you know, make myself, you know, a really valuable asset because I was able to do so many different things for that particular company. Oh yeah. I mean the, the lessons and the probably value you were able to bring them from all of your lessons in real, mm-hmm. they were probably like, this is the the jackpot, you know, we found her <laughs> off LinkedIn and now all of a sudden we have all of this knowledge in her brain to take us to another level. <laughs> yeah. So how yeah. long were you with Girl Scouts then? I was there for a few years. Um, but during that time, I actually, that's when I started to, um, I went back to school and got my MBA as well. Mm. Um, because I knew that, you know, as much as they were doing great things and there's Girl Scouts is a great program. I knew that that wasn't, you know, my last stop. And I, I just felt that, you know, when I made my next move, I wanted to, you know, be at the top of that resume pile because it's getting increasingly more competitive. And while my, you know, I, I have valuable experience, I think education, um, you know, allowed me for me personally to understand maybe the areas I wasn't strongest in. Right. Um, so I thought that was important to my, you know, to my um, career development. Yeah. So you're yeah. going to school while working Girl Scouts. Yeah. Go back to there. no time. Yeah. <laughs> no time again. Um, I guess it's a recurring thing for me. Um, if you so have time, it sounds like you want to fill that space somehow. 100%. Yeah. I'm like that even just like in a non-work environment. We'll have a packed day of fun things. And then we get home and it's like 4.30. I'm like, now what? And it's like, yeah. we've already had a packed day, but like, I want, I want to, when I put my head down on the pillow and I don't want to be exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the end of your life, you're going to have the book to write of all of the different hats you wore and all the things you've done mm-hmm. that you, you just, I love that though. You spend you spare no time in the day for wastedness or yeah. anything. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you're going to school. Yeah, going to school and I had really kind of come to the end of, you know, where I could go with Girl Scouts. There was truly nowhere else I could be promoted to unless I wanted to, you know, be like a CEO of a nonprofit, which really wasn't something I was interested in doing. Um, So again, leaned on, you know, network connections and got a job in another completely different industry, um, but really sales focused again. And I was the vice president of sales for a software uh, tech company that sold um, their products to community banks and mortgage companies, credit unions, stuff like that. So, So um, you know, again, different, (laughs) but again, the network, right? I I don't think I would have gotten these jobs otherwise. Um, So I was there really, um, up until kind of COVID and those things kind of just closed because banks were focused on, um, you know, other areas, they weren't really taking on vendors, travel came to a halt. And then I was again, faced with like the, the what now, and that's really, you know, where the true state conversation came in and launching this business. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah. So, uh, Leah, in her ex, you know, in her experience as a trustee, Leah, just everybody is the friend oh, from way back in the college. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so this, this is, is how it circle. all over, it circles back completely here. Yes. So <laughs> while I was, had this crazy path, she was on a, you know, the trusted estates attorney path and doing awesome. Um, and noticed that in her administrative practice that it was non-legal work. So, but she worked with 
really high net individuals who didn't mind paying for her to close out the love, you know, a loved one's estate at any price because they didn't have the time to do it or, you know, know what to do because it's not a, a a process that there's a, you know, a book for, right. um, although there is now on Amazon, we just, we just published one, <laughs> so, um, but you know, there was really no guidance for people. The only thing that they could really do is really try to do it on their own or hire an attorney, but you're paying high legal fees for non-legal work. And frankly, a lot of lawyers, you know, they want to use their time and expertise for the complex legal problems, not to, you know, settle someone's estate or closing out a cable bill. So, you know, she recognized this gap in the market and recognized that it was a very inefficient process. And she had shared this business idea with me, um, you know, well before that I well before I joined, um, but I had a, a personal connection to it because um, when I back at you know my time at Girl Scouts, I had two of my grandparents passed away within the mm-hmm. same year, and my dad was named as executor, but that work got overwhelming, and I you know had some time to spare, so I worked through those estates with him. And it was a very overwhelming process and you never really knew if you were doing things right or wrong. And we actually had hired an attorney um, and still kind of felt like this is the longest, worst process ever. And then we had it, you know, twice. So it just became really overwhelming. So, well, Leah was looking at it from the, you know, the legal and professional side. I was really looking at it from the personal side and really understood that there just had there has to be a better way for people. Um, So, you know, now there is, thank goodness, because we've launched, um, but, you know, it was really her, you know, looking at things through a different, you know, with a different take on things and if Mm -hmm. it could be better and if there is a way for it to be better. Um, And most people don't recognize the inefficiencies in the process because you're only going through it once or twice in your life. So how are you supposed to know things could be better? Um, but now, you know, now we're able to, to administer estates truly at a click of a button. We have technology backing the process, making it very efficient for people. I love that she was able to take a look at what she was really excellent in and knew that mm-hmm. she wanted to continue on this career path, but find the whole of what's missing and how can we make this better or easier for the everyday people out there? Yeah. Because that's mm-hmm. the way too. like, if you don't want to pivot completely into a totally different industry, you don't have to, but if you're bored in what you're doing, I'm sure there's some way that you can make what you're doing that much more elevated or that much better that you can stand out from the rest of everybody else that's doing what you're doing. So she was brilliant in that sense, because that's just, that's where we, the, the, the problems start to be solved for most people. So all of this happened during COVID you guys really started. No, this, sorry, this happened well before COVID, but I joined, um, you know, forces after I was like, well, now what? And it was kind of one of those aha moments for us is that, you know, she had had some initial conversations and people were really telling her she needed a CTO um, because of the technical component. But when we would talk, it was like, well, how, like, you can't just have a business with a CEO and a CTO. Like you need sales, you need this thing to run. Like you need products for people to buy. And she would come to me with different thoughts and I would give her my suggestions and, you know, really just being that friend and, you know, helping support her, you know, her ideas. And it was just like, 
it was just a, a random conversation that turned into a, we need to do this together because you have what I need and I have what you need. And, you know, we don't need like a peanut CTO. butter to my gym. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and it was literally, that's how it happened. And, you know, we, we say all the time that we're so thrilled that, you know, we met each other when we did and know each other so well, because being co-founders is truly like another marriage and you have to trust the person um, and be able to talk openly and honest with them. And I don't, I don't know how people run a business with someone they just met. I, you know, I know people yeah. do it all the time, but I don't, I don't know how. Well, and that's what I wanted to kind of briefly touch on. Cause I know you and I could talk about this all day long, but like the conversation, was there anything, because if people do want to start a business with their friend, was there anything that you guys were like, all right, we're going to sit down prior to us actually signing off or starting this thing. Were there any ground rules put down or decisions to be made prior to jumping into it? You're going to say no. <laughs> we probably, probably should have now. I'm just kidding. We, we didn't. And we just, you know, we, both, you know, we believe in ourselves, we believe in each other. And I think the only thing that we've really ever said, you know, from the start is like, just please be honest with me. And yeah. if you don't agree with something, tell me and we do, you yeah. know, we and not in a, that's, you know, that's dumb, but just in a, right. hey, like, I think this could be better. Or, you know, I, I'm looking at it this way. And, um, but, the, you know, we also respect each other's thoughts and opinions on things. So we're very, I think, open to hearing that feedback, which, you know, sometimes can be harder if you're not open to hearing. Yeah, it. yeah, absolutely. So mm -hmm. tell us exactly what True State does. How could it help sure. people? What can they do? Yeah. So, you know, if you're ever tasked with settling the estate of a loved one, it the statistics show that it takes about 570 hours to settle that estate. And it's like, well, who has that time? I mean, I know most people have, you know, struggled to get 25 minutes in at the gym. So like, where are you finding 570 right. hours? Um, so what we've done is we have built technology that automates a good portion of the estate settlement process. Um, but we believe very strongly in tech and touch. And the reason for that is when somebody suffers a loss, they typically don't want to just interact with a chatbot. They want a real person yeah. who can talk to them and, you know, and, and share in their this discussions and even the memories of that person. Um, so we like to say true state is where human empathy and technology meet because yes, we have technology behind the scenes really backing the process, but we have awesome team of people on the, you know, the front end of things who are directly interacting with clients to help them through, you know, what is a really tough time. Mm. Yeah. It's the things where you don't ever think of having to close out the phone bill or the light mm -hmm. bill or all the bills that have tied names to it. And you're spending, like you said, the hours, the countless hours on the phone. Yeah, that exactly. Putting the house on the market, getting rid of the car. Yeah. You know, there's so many things. Oh, I didn't even that... think about the house. Yeah. 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 But you know, and it's, it's for people, you can have a will and you can mm -hmm. have everything set up. It's the extra stuff on the back end that is not part of the will. The will just says what they want to happen after, yes. but it's really the closing down and making that stuff happen after the fact. That's where you yeah. guys can help out. That's a really good point. And something that we like to say with that is, you know, you can have the best will in the world, but the will just design the buckets that the things are going into. Administration is getting the water to the buckets. Mm. So just because you have a will when someone passes, it doesn't mean everything miraculously ends up where it's supposed to. Like someone has to do that work. And it's often the executor who um, is a, you know, a close loved one. So 
now, you know, you're consolidating, you know, you're closing out, you know, that parent's retirement account. Like that's really hard because yeah. you have to relive that story every single time you call a different agency or getting rid of their stuff is hard, you know, and, and not, and also not knowing if you're doing it correctly makes the entire process hard. So, you know, we do it all for you. There's um, well over a hundred tasks associated with each and every administration. And we do all the tasks for people. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a huge help, especially when you're grieving because it can go through years. I mean, yeah. it doesn't happen within three months. It could still stuff pops up a year later, two years later, five years yeah. down the line. Right. <laughs> exactly. And if it's not done correctly and that person's estate is tied to somebody else. So for instance, if a spouse passes and that, that spouse, um, that's the spouse who passed wasn't correctly administered when that surviving spouse passes away, often you have to like unravel Mm -hmm. that original spouse's estate. So you're like administering two because they're not done correctly. So, you know, people don't realize how, you know, these estates actually, you know, kind of tie together often. Yeah. When's the time to, for people to get in touch with you guys? Sure. So we do have some during life offerings to help people what we call, you know, estate prep. So, and that's really for people of any age, we have estate prep clients who just had their first kid and want to understand what their estate, you know, how it should be uh, looking and things they should be thinking about. So we have the estate prep side that just really helps kind of give you a thousand foot overview of your own estate and things you can be doing today to make sure that, you know, you're keeping it sound and, Um, you know, doing, checking off the right boxes, but then for the estate administration side, you know, ideally we like to step in as soon as possible. So right after somebody passed away, really before that work is started, truly because we can just make it so easy for people, but we have people who that estate has been open a year, they haven't gotten too far and then they come to us and we can take it over at that point too. Mm, I love it all. All right. So where can everybody trust, uh, find you guys, trust you guys, they could trust sure. you guys everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so we're online. Uh, you can find us at truestate.com, T-R-U-S-T-A-T-E, no E in state, uh, in true. Um, so true state, no E. And then um, we're on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I'll put everything in the show notes so you guys can find it. And then Tara, where can everybody find you if they want to connect? Because industry, career, go-getter, transcender, whatever else you (laughs) want to be in the world, changer, (laughs) maybe they need some advice on what they should do or where they should turn next. Absolutely. You can always connect with me on LinkedIn, um, but you can also just send me an email, Tara at True State. Yeah. And you can see it when Tara's talking about this new company too. It's something that's lighting her up and it's giving her, because there's also purpose behind it. Retail was probably mm-hmm. really fun, but now you're, you're really helping pe- change yeah. people's lives yeah. and make it a little bit easier for them too. So they felt good putting on the clothes you had, or maybe eating those cookies in the Girl Scout or <laughs> with their little girls, but now they're actually, you know, getting some help at the end of the day. So yeah every, every career step you've chosen have led you to this moment. So I appreciate you so much again for taking the time to sit down with us. Of course, uh, Guys, we'll see you next week for an all new solo episode. The future is now.